0: welcome to the football business academy podcast the fba is a football business educational company entirely dedicated to the football industry we run a professional master in football business and a number of certificates across the world thank you for
1: being with us today now enjoy the episode and let's build the future of football together Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are tuning in from. Welcome to the sixth episode of our free weekly live webinars brought to you by the Football Business Academy in partnership with SoccerX. My name is Christian Dobrev. I'm the Chief Partnerships Officer at the FBA, and I'll be moderating this webinar. For today, we thought, let's talk about football's power to drive social impact. And more specifically, how different clubs, foundations, and NGOs have been stepping up and leading the way. Indeed, our guests for today's webinar are nothing short of pioneers and will share their insights and vision for how collectively everyone involved in football can make a positive difference. To start, we have Jurgen Griesbeck, who is the co-founder of Common Goal, as well as founding CEO of Street Football World. Then we have Preeti Shetty, who heads up Upshot at the Football Foundation. Next, it's also my pleasure to welcome Jacob Neige from Danish club FC Nordschland, who are not your typical club. And that's why you'll understand soon enough why they're commercial directors actually on this panel. And last but not least, we have Hubert Rovers, who is the CEO of the European Football for Development Network. Welcome to all four of you. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. And uh, perhaps to start off, I think it would be good if everyone introduces their respective organizations so that our viewers and listeners um, can have a better understanding of what you do. So, Hubert, let's start with, with you. What's uh, what's the mission of the EFD, EFDN and what kind of programs and projects do you do you operate?
2: Well, EFDN, our, our mission um, is that every club, league, or uh, national football association in um, the UEFA territory uh, becomes... Uh, socially responsible um, and, and, and community engaged uh, which means that every club no matter how big or small can uh, make an, a positive impact in their community while building their own brand um, in, in in football and we believe that um, clubs uh, leagues and national football associations who are um, socially responsible and community engaged also act more financially responsible as well so Um, And realize that their club um, can make an impact also by not winning the league, but you can have an impact on different levels as well, uh, which makes it a more sustainable organization as a whole. Uh, The projects that we run um, at the moment, we have 16 European programs uh, on on health, on education, on employment, uh, social cohesion. Uh, for instance, uh, working with refugees, a uh, uh, program called Welcome Through Football, uh, but we also have um, uh, an, an, a health competition or we're going to launch a health competition uh, between fans where um, every step they take win points for, for their favorite football club. Um, and, and, and yeah um, can compete with each other um, on, online as well uh, so we run a, a number of programs uh, for starting for four three four years old until I think the oldest participants in one of our walking football teams from the clubs is 104 at the moment so um, you can have a wide variety uh, of, uh, of participants
1: nice thank you very very interesting to hear that then uh, moving on uh, what about Jacob uh, I already mentioned in my introduction that FC Northland is not a typical club what's uh, what's the philosophy of the club can you tell us a bit more about why you're different
3: Yeah sure so I'd like to highlight two things really that mark our philosophy out The first one is is a fundamental belief in the power of youth and that comes through in the way that we focus on uh, the development of our young people as whole human beings and not just as as football players. And we've tried to kind of disrupt the academy model in that way. And we believe that if we do that, we'll create more uh, better people, but also great football players. And it's actually led us to become the the youngest team in Europe uh, with one of the highest percentages of academy uh, graduates in the first team. So this is a massive cornerstone of our model across both the women's and the men's game. And then number two is a, a philosophy that our founder has, has, has tried to have in place in, in both of our academies. We're part of the Right to Dream group and the Right to Dream Academy is, is in West Africa in Ghana and that's been going for 20 years and the, the, the academy there acquired the club FC Northland in 2015. And, and our the second part there of this philosophy is, uh, is to play for something greater than yourself. Um, and so uh we're going to hear a little bit about common goal in a minute but when you understand that you understand it makes sense that our squad and our leadership have one of the largest contingents of common goal alumni um, and they also have a lot of their own social change projects um, that they develop and we support them and we help them connect to that on a very deep level um and we think this is super important because the research right now shows that millennials and generation z uh, are very um conscientious they're, they're uh they're, they're very demanding and that we feel that um in terms of uh social impact the football industry is probably for too long it's just been out of touch with those tendencies and maybe shown a lack of, of will to embrace some of those changes um so we see our model and the journey that our players go on as um, something that helps achieve the end of developing the role models that the game needs for tomorrow, the purpose-driven athletes that that we feel um, that the sport requires. Uh, And then it also feeds into a kind of key narrative for our organisation, which is about who we work with and the kind of uh, company we want to keep in this struggle to change the game. uh, and that's very much around this idea that we need to, uh, we should not uh, expect to accomplish our own dreams if we're not willing to help others accomplish theirs. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, moving on, Pretty.
1: you, you work for Upshaw, which is part of the Football Foundation. And um, obviously, it's UK's largest sports charity, right? And it's funded by the Premier League, by the FA and by the ministry, by the government, Right um and um and all you do basically is transform the landscape of grassroots sports across the country right so can you elaborate a bit more what that specifically means
4: yeah so we're quite a unique partnership basically we're um a big funder um like you said funded by the premier league the fa and the government We're their charity Um, And what we do is we enable the key football partners to come together to effectively achieve a a shared vision. And for us, it's to improve football facilities around the country. So, you know, we work with and we fund um, football clubs, county football associations, local authorities, schools, community centers, a wide range of organizations um, to help improve the, the state of the grassroots game, if you like. So. We have a 10-year national football facility strategy that basically lays out our ambition of how we're going to do this. Um, And very simply, it rests on delivering thousands of new pitches, um, fixing existing pitches, but also looking at off-pitch facilities like changing rooms and goalposts and things like that. Um, But really the the key aims is is to have impact, uh, to have impact on football, so more quality pitches, more people playing, but more inclusive, um, a wider audience of new and existing players, fewer matches cancelled, people having a better experience, all of the things that you would expect from football. But then importantly, and I think it it links to um, what what Jake and, and Hubert were saying as well, what is the impact that we have on society and on people's lives? So, you know, this isn't just football for football's sake, but by doing the things that we do and investing the the money that we invest, um, what are those wider societal benefits um, that we're seeing on lives and communities as well?
1: Great, thanks Preeti. Jurgen, last but not least, um, can you tell us a little bit more
0: about street football world and, and common goal? Yeah, sure. First of all, hey, everyone, and uh, a real pleasure to share this panel with you and also the audience out there. Um, Street Football World was founded in back in 2002 um, with the ambition to surface uh, like the best practice um, community-based organizations that were using football as a tool to either increase or accelerate the impact on their communities. This has then grown over the past 18 years in into a network of round about 140 community organizations across 90 countries or so um, with with a daily reach of round about two million disadvantaged youth and disadvantaged meaning all kinds of being underserved um, and being in, in in challenging situations so when when this like over the time when this network um, matured and and agreed on on quite a, an advanced level of, of quality standards, like where there like were policies that were shared, um, a, a, a trust base among all, so that um, all the knowledge was actually open sourced among the group. Um, we felt like, okay, now there's um, football for good if you want, and then there's football for profit, like the industry as such. So what we, what we felt was lacking um, was a systemic bridge between the two. So that was then the reason why we founded Common Goal as an initiative of street football world in twenty seventeen. Um, and we didn't want this to be like an initiative that was proposed by an NGO or by a group of ngos in in this case to to the industry as such. but we wanted this to to grow as a movement within the industry. That was the reason why we co-founded it also with with a football player, and it has since then been a a pro-athletes-driven movement. The player we founded it with is is Juan Mata from Manchester United, and this group now has grown like of pro-athletes, both male and female, as well as coaches, um, into a group of around about 150 players. And what they have in common is they contribute 1% of their earnings into a collective fund that would allow a collective investment into social impact. The ambition of Common Goal is to make that a standard throughout the industry, meaning that every euro that is generated thanks to commercializing the game invests one cent into this collective fund. So that, in a nutshell.
1: Great, thanks. And with that, I think and hope that all of our viewers and listeners will have a, a better idea of uh, of your organization's. Then, uh, going into the the more specific questions, Hubert um, at DFD. And you also specialize in supporting uh, football clubs to enhance CSR and community engagement programs, uh, especially in their local communities. How has this support continued during the COVID-19 uh, outbreak?
2: Well, the, um, the the challenge was that um, our clubs, are um, our members are located in 29 different countries where all the development of COVID-19 and the measurements uh, from governments um, to 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 prevent the spread of the virus was, was quite different in, in all the countries, but you, um, the the first thing I think we 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 did is um, what we try to do every day is collecting best practices and sharing that around to inspire other clubs to see okay these are things that are happening throughout Europe uh, that you can easily adopt that you can do in your own community as well, um, so uh beginning of uh, march the end of february beginning of march we launched um our uh, supporter of each other uh campaign uh, or initiative uh where um it's a, a website social media where we uh, gather all best practices from from clubs um leagues companies um active in football um and yeah, sh- share the message what they do uh, because yeah, although you are based in England or you're based in in Denmark or in the Netherlands, there's a lot of uh, same, uh, yeah same things that you can do uh, using the club, using uh, players from, from with home videos and, and and trying to get the information out there. And I think that was one of the first responses from clubs is using the, um, the guidelines from WHO um, and, and from the national government to ask their fans to st- actually stay at home, uh, to listen to all the advice out there. I think that was the first response from, from a lot of our, our members and clubs. Um, and then afterwards, it was trying to help uh, where, where possible. So in some countries, that was donating medical supplies or um, organising fundraisers. In order, it was more um, to um, have uh, co-initiatives to people that are in social isolation or uh, in risk of social isolation. Um, and you see a lot of innovative um, activities out there um, using why the clubs do their best um, given the the circumstances. Uh, but also, I think it's a way for for the clubs to 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 stay in sight with their fans or to stay uh connected with their fans because everyone everything was closed down in just one or two days sometimes uh, or, or or in a week um, with no view when we uh, we can go back to the stadiums again. so uh, on one side they're doing a lot there's a lot of beautiful initiatives out there. Um, to help and serve the community on the other side it's it also serves the organization themselves to st- to to stay um to stay inside to stay connected with the fans with with their sponsors and um uh and hopefully that will give them an advantage when uh we, they can start up again start uh playing either behind closed doors or not um to uh yeah to 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 to, to overcome the crisis as an organization themselves as well um so um, next to the supporter of each other campaign and, and the website, we had a lot of uh, questions from clubs on how other clubs are organising their activities, um, and all our staff is supplying that support from home themselves. So uh, we we got to to learn how to work from home quite fast. Like I think everyone in Europe uh, needed to, um, and and and, that, and that's what we're doing still to uh, until today. So. Um,
1: Okay. Jake, obviously being at a club yourself, you've you you you've lived this uh, from the beginning as well. And um, a lot of clubs, for obviously reasons, have had to double up on, on digital campaigns in order to stay engaged with their fans, with their communities, with their commercial partners. Um, can you tell us a bit about what
3: FC Northland has been doing in this space? Yeah, sure. So... Um... First off, we're participating in the Danish government uh, compensation scheme. So mu- a large part of our, our organisation was, was sent home, was furloughed. Um, but now we're beginning to, as the kind of plan for a potential, I mean, we're not entirely sure if we can Um, come back for sure at the end of May or beginning of June but we're kind of preparing now that that we may be able to do that and so what we've begun to try to do is begin to ramp up now that digital uh, that digital presence and we started with just um, uh, raising awareness through daily content squad news some archival stuff to get people thinking about the history and then we did some stuff around um, opening up we have a hotel bolted onto the club and we we opened we offered up opening up part of that uh, uh, to to the local hospital and collaborated with the police on some social distancing stuff as well. Um, and, and all of this was just like trying to do to echo some of the points that, that, that Hubert was making. It, it's, it's you you have these plans. We we had actually planned with the to do some work around uh, the now cancelled um, European Championships in 2020 here in Copenhagen, and uh, we're all just trying, I guess, to adjust to this new reality and and try to to communicate the messages that we feel really, really important uh, for our community to interact with um, and that our community is saying that are also important, um, but try to do that digitally. And one of the things that we felt was quite exciting for us as well was we released the first part of a documentary um, with our partners, Unisport, on their YouTube channel. And it's all about our academy model in Ghana and about the pathways of three... Uh, young talented uh, players who've been developed in a very different way to the to the kind of European club academy model journey Um, and about their journey about their how their families feel about the particular pathway they've been on about how their characters have developed over time and how they've become uh, the people they are today and then about uh, uh, for a couple of them there it's going to begin to move into the their transition to life in Denmark and we think this is great for us and it's got over 200,000 views already on YouTube at uh, the Unisport channel and, and it's a really nice little insight into the reason why we do what we do. Um, we've had to get quite a lot of, I mean, obviously our, our partners and, and, and sponsors in terms of digital activation have, have had to be quite understanding in the first instance and we've got good dialogue with all of those and we're starting to ramp up communications now with season ticket holders as well digitally. Um, but we are very much looking forward to to going back um, and, and trying to understand what that new football on the other side of this um, is going to look like. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Jake. Pretty through Upshot,
1: you focus on, on measuring the impact of a wide range of uh, Football for Good initiatives. Can you tell us a bit more about that approach and why measuring the impact is so important in, uh, in the current climate even more so?
4: Yeah. So, um, when I when I introduced myself, I, I talked about the Football Foundation and, and the fact that, that we're a funder. Um, within the foundation, I run something called Upshot, which is basically an online uh monitoring, evaluation, and learning system. Um, we built it about nine years ago within the foundation for us to measure the impact of our own investment. So effectively understand, you know, where we were putting our money and what difference it was making. Um, we've since then um Widened our reach, if you like, um, and we license UpShot out to hundreds of organizations uh, all over the world. So we work with 850 organizations at the moment funders, deliverers, sports clubs, leagues, uh, universities, governments, a huge range of organizations that are using football or sport to tackle a, a wide range of social issues. Um, and the whole reasoning behind it was really to understand this so what question, you know, I'm putting money in, I'm delivering an intervention. Um, I'm reaching 50, 500, 5 million people, so what? What is happening because we're doing this? How do we know that it's working? Um, And it's really where, where impact measurement comes in. We can keep doing the same thing over and over again, and I can keep pumping money in, but if I don't know if I'm being effective, then this is, it's pointless. So really, the the whole measuring impact space is around you know understanding what is and isn't working. If it's working, how do we replicate and scale? Um, if it isn't, can we find out soon enough that we can tweak and adapt? Not wait till the end of the year. This whole very traditional annual report. How did it go? I'm looking in the past. It's very much about tell me now. Um, you know, we we live in an age of instant gratification. Um, And and we sort of expect the same thing from, you know, from our programs, from our data, uh, as audiences, as fans, tell me what's happening right now, so I can do something, so I can action, um, you know, so I can put more money in, so I can get involved. Um, It's basically the same principle. In this current climate, I think more than ever before, we have realized, there has been a realization um, that the availability of real-time data is crucial. you know, any organization right now who can identify who needs what, who they're working with, whose services they're reaching, uh, what do people think of their response, uh, what difference it's making, anybody who can answer those questions right now and then use that information to do a slightly better job the next day. That's all we're talking about here. You know, it's saying, do I know, and I think the the others pointed it out quite well, you're just reaching out, it's, it's an excuse to reach out to your participants, your audience, your stakeholders to understand how they're feeling right now. Um, I think it's it's even more important than it was before because it's giving you credibility with your funders. Money is tight. Um, money has always been tight for, for NGOs and for foundations. It's even tighter now. So it's really important to be able to prove that you are good enough, that the difference that, that you're making um, is actually something tangible, um, that you represent a sound investment, if you like. Because the, the issue that we have a little bit is, everybody's good and everybody's doing a COVID response. What is separating you from everybody else? You know, How are you helping your community uh, and your audience right now? And how do you have the data and evidence to prove it?
1: Great, we'll, we'll get back to the, um, to the funding part in, in, in a bit. But speaking of response, um, Jurgen, in uh, in response to to the current crisis, common goal established the common goal Covid nineteen response fund. Can you explain a little bit how it's different from what you've been doing until now and what have the first responses or, or results been?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, in essence, it's 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 no different. Um, it's just like adapting to the situation at the core of of common goal, what we have established over the past Two and a half years is a, a simple, efficient way to contribute to donate um, for people who are involved in the uh, so far and like pre-COVID, it has been very much like the one percent of people making their earnings within within football. Um, what, what what we've done now is everybody who has already already been involved with with Common Goal, we just ask them to unrestrict their resources. Normally they um, all, all Common Goal members w- would have a, a say in, uh, okay, I'm I'm interested in this continent, I'm interested in this social topic, and we would recommend accordingly like the allocation of the resources. Um, now, in these times, what we've done, we we went back to all the Common Goal members, like athletes, and said, hey, um, what if you are unrestricted for this coming period, like this year? Um, or what if you actually... Advanced your 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 contribution to earlier in the year, so response can be more immediately um, happen more immediately. Or if you want to contribute additionally to 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 what you have contributed already, you're 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 more than welcome to do so. And also we what we what we did in addition is to relax like the one percent. So everybody who felt they wanted to contribute now through the established mechanism as i said which is very easy simple efficient transparent um and felt confident with it um was invited to or is still invited to to do so 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 we relaxed the one percent on that and 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 um and in addition to that um obviously as, as as jake was talking about you but also referred to it that obviously there's no no football happening. So so the Common Goal members also, they're not um, as usually um, inspiring on the field right, with their 90 minute performance per week. So we what we didn't in, invite them to do is actually to contribute these 90 minutes of inspiration off the field and created like a, a live match format whereby all the Common Goal mem- members would interact with frontline health workers, with community-based organizations that are um, delivering in their communities um, whatever they can do um, other other players like other athletes from other from other um, sports who have in, engaged with with different sorts of, of, of response mechanisms so that has been mainly what we've done so the the, the mechanism has been out there um, before um I think we we adapted relatively quickly to um, to what was needed now the response was very positive. And and we hope we we will be able to to contribute during the crisis. But but more importantly, I think it's it's also to see that um, the focus of 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 what we have done has been a little bit not not cyclical to to the spread of the virus. So while the virus has hit obviously first Europe and North America, there's part of 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 the delivery of 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 responses to that obviously happening in Europe and. And North America, but where a strong focus has been has also been like Latin America, Africa, where we have not yet seen um, the virus actually um, um, spread in a way that it would already represent a challenge to to the respective um, health institutions. And 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 in many of these countries, actually, the lack of access to the health institutions making it um, even more more important that the, the organizations can can deliver the last mile.
1: Thanks, Jürgen. Hubert, uh, speaking of campaigns, actually, you also mentioned you uh, started the Supporter of Each Other campaign with, uh, with EFDN. Um, can you share a bit of the best practices that you've seen your member clubs uh, take advantage of this campaign to to reach out to their communities and, and do something, something special, something different?
2: Um, yeah, well, one of the, um, well, the high profile one is, of course, uh, the stadium rights of Camp Nou, um, with FC Barcelona that they transferred to Barca Foundation uh, to raise funds um, for, um, uh, yeah, uh, to, to, to uh, um, assist the health um, um, agencies in, in Spain, um, with the fundraiser of, yeah, I think one of the first unique uh, to sell the stadium rights of camp now. So that is, was one that really got a lot of attention uh, worldwide. But I think um, the, the, the small size um, um, activities that really make an impact um, are support with food banks, um, because there's a lot of uh, problems there. Well, and basically, when, when everyone had to run on the supermarkets, then the whole food bank, bank um, all the food banks came, had to, to get way too little food. So I think that was one that was spread throughout Europe. Um, uh, with the clubs and, and their uh, their suppliers to, to assist there, which, of course, is um, uh, um completely different type, but a lot more effective impact directly in the community. Um, and uh, so that was, uh, that I, yeah, you saw that throughout Europe. Uh, but there was uh, a number of clubs that started online competitions against each other. Um, through through esports, there was a there's a lot of Twitter uh, fiddies going on between clubs to uh, showcase or yeah to show pre- previous results and, and to 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 make challenges at home use their players to to get people uh, staying active from home um and and do uh there was for instance one club that did their usual training from home and so all the players from home needed to do their um their their their, um, their fitness training and then they invited all the fans to join them as well so uh to 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 do that the 90 minute session um so you you see a lot of clubs that didn't uh or were not too active online uh learning how to do that and to engage with with their fans in a different way uh just to get people uh although uh everyone emphasizes on the social distancing to to get people connected uh online uh in in and, 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 and getting connected through the club and staying engaged through the club but also you see a lot of um of clubs who have um, developed online platforms where fans can support other fans. So you can post whenever you're in need um, and, and ask a question for, for someone that's in social isolation that um, that cannot do the grocery shopping themselves, uh, post that online on the club platform, um, and then other fans can do that, put it in front of the door, stuff like that. You, you saw that, yeah, uh, there, there were a couple of unique ones, and then that got uh, copied a lot. Um, which, which I think is a good thing. Uh, you don't have to invent the, the wheel all over you, uh, again. So, um, so I think there's a lot of, well, sometimes big, sometimes small initiatives that really made um, or contributed in a difficult time. Um, but now it's, uh, I think it's uh, important c- to to maintain that. So, um, it's uh, when everyone locked down, there was a a um, so, uh, a feeling okay this could be six weeks it could be eight weeks and then we go back to uh, back to normal again now we know that there is not going to be a normal again there's going to be a new normal Uh, and I think for a lot of the the clubs the leagues and the FAs we need to have a good look how we can um um yeah, how, how we can stay active both on us on on the social side of things but also as the organization themselves how they can uh, transform themselves to the new normal and 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 hopefully start playing their games again but also interact uh, on a, on a different way um and finding a way to become just to be sustainable as an organization themselves to have that impact through through the next months um and perhaps even year um if if, if it goes to that
1: Great. And uh, we, we have actually a question from, from the audience uh, of one, Thomas Flakowski. Uh, he seems to be representing a Polish club and, and supporting the supporter of each other campaign, actually. And he's asking you, do you think that the pandemic period will make the clubs now even closer to the community and become even more involved in CSR? Um, well, th-
2: that's what I hope is one of the well good things um, that can, can come out of this, is that the, the management and board of clubs realize that they don't have to win the league or they don't have to win the champions league to be valuable um and that they can do a lot of make a lot of impact in in uh, regardless of their size regardless of how developed the club is how big the club is um and i think that this um uh, crisis also um uh, and with all the initiatives going on i hope that will have a sustainable impact in the way clubs management and club boards think about what they do uh, outside of their football games Um, and of course everyone will tell that football is the most important part of their business but they they realize that their business is uh, perhaps not per se a business as such but a a community uh, or um, a point in the community where everyone comes together and that they can use that in a lot of different ways um, and, and different than the usual football game so yes I hope Really hope that that is the, one of the positive things that uh, we we can learn, uh, and that management and, and uh, of clubs will um, hopefully use the, this in the in the coming years as well as well as it will inspire other clubs who were not engaged in community work or social activities before uh, the crisis, and they now see the uh, the added value that it can have to, to uh, on one side stay connected with their fans, uh, but even, equally or even more important, actually that they're making an impact in the community as well. Thank you, Hubert. Uh, Jacob, speaking of
1: campaigns, obviously you're a commercial director, so you, you work with a lot of brands. Um, I can only imagine that brands will have prepared campaigns in advance whether it's for the end of the season whether it's for the beginning of the next season whether it's for the euros for the olympics um have you observed like any brands getting creative and how they've repackaged some of their campaigns and, and potentially even with a csr twist to it
3: yeah that's a good question um i think first of all in the idea of like the csr twist just to pick up on you know how we see csr first of all before i talk about the brands I think um, for us in CSR, we see our player development model as kind of reverse engineering um, conscientious values into young players so that when they become uh adults they they emerge with kind of global citizenship values and, and it, it CSR is not so much CSR it's just kind of second nature to them to help and invest in their communities and do those kind of things and something like joining common goal becomes an absolute no-brainer it's just a it's a thing that's a minimum standard for them if you like um so like and I think in some ways um a brands are starting to see and have for some time now uh seen it the very most uh forward thinking of them anyway i've seen it in that way too and i think if you sometimes when we say the word csr what it sounds like is it sounds like it could be somewhat inauthentic that it's an afterthought um and actually i think what we learned with the nike colin kaepernick campaign um last year is that is that actually uh, the social message can be at least equal to the product and, and the brand itself if not more and it's about buying into a meaning or an idea, and 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 that's the way we really see it. Um, and then, of course, like there's to answer your 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 question more specifically about call, cool, I, I, you know, how people have used good campaigns to to activate communities. Um, because of course, yeah, all of these things that these guys have invested in and and created uh, m- strategies and content for, it, it, they they've had to to replan. Um, so yeah, and one thing that I think has been brilliant for us is this the, the things that are very human that allow fans, consumers, individuals, and athletes to, to kind of connect with one another by doing very similar activities. And the Nike Living Room Cup, it's like this challenge matchup for players and and, and fans to connect. And, and I think that's been really, really good. A lot of our players have participated in that. Um, and it's good because it just makes you feel like you're doing something that the, the, the athlete is also doing. And you're seeing the same kind of things happen to them. Like, you know, their, their kids are, 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 are raiding the the um, uh, the activities that they're doing and, and the stuff like that and their dogs. and. Uh, and, and then the other one actually that just popped up on my radar just a couple of days ago was actually something else from Nike, which is really cool, which is which is a, a, essentially a story, a platform uh, for telling the story of how they pivoted to produce um, personal protective equipment for medical workers in the US. Um, and it's really cool the way that they've done it. And I think is this, we've seen a lot over the last few days of, of brands, clubs, um, and especially people from the textile industry producing uh, uh, equipment for uh, the medical sector. And then you, you kind of get a social media post and it's like, bang, the, this is all the stuff that we've made. And what these guys did instead is they created a story around the projects um, and, and how they brought together these key drivers from doctors, nurses, marketing professionals. Um, and the CMO of Nike um, uh, posted that just a few days ago, and if you haven't seen it, I think it's well worth having a look uh, at because it shows how actually the the story is the campaign, um, and it and it's great. It's really, really so almost it well it's, it it feels like the emergency response there actually was. Um, so yeah.
1: Thanks, Jake. Uh, Preeti, what about um, on your side? Like, Are there any specific social issues that you're seeing organizations focusing more on now um, than pre-pandemic, basically?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess similarly to the other guys, you know, we, we, we're definitely seeing and recognizing that football clubs and sport organizations and NGOs, they are much more than that. They are the center of their community. You know, we're seeing... Um, a, you know accommodation for health workers food bank distributions like all of the you know all of the 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 stuff that that Hubert mentioned i think it's definitely clear that you know we need to start seeing ourselves as um you know as as real contributors to to our communities but i think what's been really interesting is starting to look at how organizations have pivoted So, you know, obviously we are sport for good organizations and therefore physical well-being plays a role. You know, lots of um, sport for development organizations or football for good organizations have a specific social issue that they focus on traditionally. But during this period, they've started to broaden that focus and look at, you know, mental well-being has come up very strongly because no matter what you're doing, this is a difficult time, especially when you work with vulnerable people, people at risk. So that's become a social issue that everybody is working on. Um, You know, we talk about social distancing and and that's all well and good, but you can't social distance in a slum on the streets, in refugee camps. So, you know, our organizations have had to pivot in a way that they've never had to do before, which is what is our response to something that, you know, we have never had to think about. Um, And we're really starting to see the the, the breadth uh, of of work that, that NGOs do in, in this current climate. Um, a term that I hear often are our coaches, our counselors, and actually we don't think about it from that perspective. You don't just go to a session because you're gonna go do some sport or because you are learning something. You build a bond with, with the people that you work with. And actually when you don't have that, especially if you're a young person at risk, you know that's the stuff that you really need. So we're hearing really great examples of you know, coaches getting on the phone Uh, and talking to their participants, really old school, forget digital. I mean, it's ironic for me to say because I I run a tech startup. Actually, we're seeing paper and we're seeing them putting materials under people's doors because it's about being connected in this period of time. So, you know, we're we're really seeing the the breadth of how our organizations are, are responding in this current climate. But I think what's been really fascinating and the thing that's important is and, and I'm, I'm sure you know th- this keeps coming up, is funding. Um, actually, we're seeing organizations support each other. Everybody has a role to play here. And rather than all of us trying to do everything, which just is impossible, I think it's trying to look at this and saying, who is doing similar work in my area? How can we join forces? Because this isn't the moment to reinvent the wheel. There is no point of every single organization trying to address every single issue so it's really understanding what we as a collective can do and really start and and you know obviously the the other guys um on this panel are really good examples of how this works it's collaborate and partner like we've never done before and it's really say what can you do and what can i do and how can we together support our community recognizing that you know these are unprecedented times um as we as we keep hearing
1: Definitely. Thank you. And uh, actually, there's um, there's a viewer, Rafantio, um, who asks that question, which I guess in part you've already answered. Like, is there a need for more extensive collaboration? I guess that resounding answer is yes. Um, any any particular thing you want to follow up on in terms of how it can be done even even better or even more?
4: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think, you know, everybody wants to do something, right? Everybody, I mean, whether whether you're an NGO, whether you're somebody sitting at home listening to this, I think this feeling of helplessness um, is something that we all share and we all want to do something. But I think it's really understanding how we can scale that in a way that, you know, that that is the most effective. So it's really looking at what is happening around you. That's, you know, that's already, there are movements, um, that are already happening, as as we've heard from the other guys. You know, what is your role within that? Um, h- how can you best support whether that is, and I, I think Jürgen's spot on with, sometimes it's as simple as relaxing your rules around funding. Sometimes that's all we need. Sometimes it's somebody just reaching out. Um, you know, I, I think for us as a sector, we're in a really difficult time, and we need to be very, very careful here, because if we don't adapt, then... then we run the risk of dying out so it really is about coming together um, there is no point you know th- there is finite pots of money here um, there are only x number of things we can do so it's really saying you know how can we together form the best possible response whether that's a project or a you know a strategy um, really what do i have that somebody else is missing and how can we, you know, how can we pull that together in order to support something existing that is already happening? I think it's very rare that we will look around and say, oh, there's a completely new thing that nobody has thought about before. Uh, and if that is the is the case, brilliant. But I think more often than not, um, it's recognizing that our organizations need support and it's about, it's about survival um, for a lot of people at this stage. So, you know, sometimes that's a donation. Um, whatever, how, how, how much ever or little you can give. Sometimes it's volunteering, um, but often it's just reaching out and, and seeing what your community needs.
1: Thank you. Jurgen, um, we've seen in recent weeks, a lot of different positions um, and reactions when it comes to, to players taking pay cuts, um, some proactively su- suggesting that they, 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 they're interested in doing so, others taking complete different positioning or others even more so, um, starting charitable actions by themselves. Um, As you said, the majority of common goal members are football players um, with a wide range of of incomes as well and of salaries. Uh, Apart from leading by example, what do you think they can do to encourage
0: or inspire
1: more players to to get involved in in what we call football for good?
0: We have to look also at the players as as people and not just football players. You already mentioned that um, within the common goal community there there's players um like more from a from a from a top player category and then there's a lot of of players who are either lower lower tier players like playing in the second division or in a lower league or in a country where where football is not as as much of a market as in other countries and and then many of them actually more than half of them are female players um so so this um this is a, a whole range of different situations and and many of them have families. Many of them have kids. Many of them um, are away from their families, like living in Europe while the families might be in Africa and Latin America. So so this is just a, the angle I think that sometimes gets lost when we're looking at football players, just looking at them as human beings, as as just as all of us. Um, so I, I wanted to highlight that. and And I think there's obviously an advantage to those players. Jake was referring to, like, if you look at, at, at the right to Dream Academy or FC North and where where, where, the, where, the play, where it's part of, of who they are like to, to have this holistic view on things to, to be connected beyond the football field um, to, to all sorts of, 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 of environments in, in your life. I think. Many of the players um, have been told too much that they have to focus on their career and and, and are not prepared for any kind of, of disruption of that um and and for 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 many of them those who are, who are lucky um this moment comes when they when the career ends um but but now it has been obviously for all of us and for all of them it has been um very unpredictably and, and before that and and um just just looking at at um at at the relationship with the clubs and the different re- um reactions that that have come to it and how that relates to, to their contributions, donations, or getting engaged with, with the situation. Um, I think it's two different conversations. One is I have an employer, um, and I have to, 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 to talk to my employer as an employee. And then there's me and, and I, I'm either socially engaged or I'm not, and I have preferences or I have not. And, and this does not necessarily, um, relate to to my to my to the contract i have having with my club so i think that has been um confused quite a quite a bit um during that time so that that um already like the the fact that players would um take a pay cut would already count as like social social commitment um it's not it's 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 a commitment with their employer and i and i think that 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 needs to be seen in in, in different ways um and beyond that I, that's just one side of the equation like the players on the other side as as Priti just said um, there's there's the the community based organizations and 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 it's not just that they that they have been adapting very quickly to this to this new situation and 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 in, in a very like creative way we we have to acknowledge that all of these organizations and and including ourselves actually most of who we are sitting on this panel um are struggling, um, and and the community community based organizations they are struggling too. Um, but at the same time, they are the ones who have the trust in the community. They are the ones um, um, people would listen to. Um, they are the ones carrying actually the information and the messages that need to be heard by by people so that that they can follow. They understand the environment of. Um, thousand people having to share one public toilet and, and not having access to clean water, not having access to soap, not being able to socially distance. So all these kind of things, um, these are the knowledge carriers. So they're they valuable at any point in, in, in time, but they're even more valuable right now because this is where our systems don't work they don't get to that last mile delivery and this is where the community based organizations are uniquely positioned so like and and putting these two like the 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 cultural influence or the inspiration or the contribution the engagement of professional athletes people would follow on the one side and put that at work and on the other side having actually the solutions in terms of last mile de- last mile delivery from actually coming up with hand washing solutions themselves um, because there is no distributor who would who would who would hand over to a family like uh, an opportunity to wash hands so so th- that's just one example and that's not very different from england to uh, like obviously the the shades it takes is different but but the the fact like the essence of it is is just the same thanks Jacob, a big issue that
1: a lot of clubs, I guess, will have to deal with um, in the next few months is budgets and, therefore, as well, investments. Um, for those that were doing a lot of CSR, but at the same time investing in capital projects, will there be a way to continue doing both? You think, or how does a club prioritize in such a way, in such a
3: situation? That's a big question. And I don't think I can hope to uh, answer that for the whole of the football industry, but I can definitely tell you what I what I believe. Um, and I think probably for many clubs, um, as they look to the other side of this crisis and what the shape of football is going to be, um, they'll probably see the combination of community work and, and capital projects and stadium developments and uh, capital investments more generally as being even more central um because capital projects especially training grounds and, and and uh stadiums they're they're no longer simply about um improving the potential of the club's top line they're they're, they're much more now uh beacons for communities and and i mean pretty will know this uh really really well from the work that she does at the football foundation um and i think it they have to be that in order to be legitimate um uh, and, and legitimate because they're meant to serve populations, right? Fans, local communities, consumers. And I think if you look recently at the very immediate response of some of the clubs that have done or uh, are beginning or in the process of of big um, uh, uh, investments, places like Brighton, uh, Milan, Liverpool, Fulham, the, and of course ourselves, you see people opening up uh, their stadiums uh, for novel uses, uses in, in that crisis and such as medical centers and testing and provision of equipment, provision of delivery of food, some of the things that Preeti was talking about uh, earlier, which is, you know, on a, a very kind of granular community scale in places where the kind of things that we would experience here in Europe and the kind of responses that we would have in Europe, social distancing and such are, are in a very difficult Um but yeah, so so I think my my guess is that it's actually going to become even more important than before um, uh, on the other side of that crisis of this crisis, whatever that looks like. Community engagement will become uh, fundamental to, to to stadiums and 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 playing spaces. And, and there's actually
1: um, a certain Harry Lucas following our, our webinar um, and asking a follow up question on that, and it's regarding. You know, once we do get back to the stadium, um, you know, the, the overall feeling is that it'll be quite a period without fans. So how, how, um, how can clubs involve supporters in the, in the future, basically, when when football returns without fans? And, and how do you think that, um, that overlap, you know, between using the stadium for a medical uh, purpose compared to playing? Because obviously there's a big
3: risk of infecting players as such. How are you gonna balance that as a club? It's a really it's a really good question that Harry asked. And and of course, a lot of us right now we're waiting to, to get more clarity on what that other side could look like. But what I can say is, is that we're talking to, to our biggest stakeholders and our partners, fans. Uh, uh, a bit, uh, partners like DHL and Arbinds Bank for us uh, uh, are already talking about this and how they can help in, in the uh, involvement of fans in what football will look like behind closed doors. Um, and and yeah, like watch watch this space.
1: Absolutely. Still a lot of questions to, to be honest, answered in the upcoming weeks and months. Um, Hubert, I have a question from the audience for you as well. And it's from actually our very own uh, FBI alumna, Maria Lara Ordóñez, And she asked, do you think CSR strategies could become a tool to strengthen international relations since, there, there's, since the countries might prioritize
2: resources and efforts in its nationals? Um, I, th- I think there's. Um... What, what i've said and what pretty said there, um earlier as well there's a there's, you don't have to invent the wheel um and and i think that's really important in acting um international um so you can can learn international and, and deliver local and i think that will become more and more important especially for the smaller clubs um to for, from that angle from the bigger clubs of course they 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 all they have an international fan base so um not having the opportunity to play their game for full stadiums um uh, will, will they will have to find another way uh to to engage with their fans international um so yes i i definitely think that that could help um the they see C- to internationalize to see as our perspective from, from clubs, um, as well. Um, and hopefully that will have a, a sustainable, um, impact or it will last for a longer time after the crisis as well. Um, I think for too much to, for too long time, uh, people speak, speak about a football family, but in, when, um, uh, when it becomes really critical, then everyone goes for their own interest. Uh, in the end, um, and what I've seen and, and experienced through this crisis is that um, that still happens, but it's it's less than it used to be. Um, and and hopefully, uh, people will maintain that feeling after uh, we we go back to uh, the new normal. Uh, that they look after, that they look behind or further. Uh, than their their own business interest or their 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 own uh challenges um and see that cooperation actually brings people um uh, perhaps not quicker somewhere but it can reach a lot for further um and, and create a yeah um ha- have a better impact uh for the long term so um i definitely th- hope that that feeling will will stay uh but there will be a lot of challenges for for the organisations to to um, to yet just to be there, uh, to, just to maintain themselves and uh, to survive uh, and to find other ways of income uh, to, to 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 find uh, uh, um, solutions for the financial issues that they got, um, and also on the, on league level to see when they can start playing behind closed doors or or uh, in, um, or back to full stadiums again. When that will happen, um, then um, I think that the impact that this has will not get every organization back to to normal. Just playing the men's team first, uh, the first men's team every two two weeks, but the stadiums will be opened and and centers of the community uh, uh, at that time as well. Um, and certainly we will, as, e, as EFDN, will try to, to, to support that, to, to make that international between the clubs in Europe. But I think also even more important that we can have, uh, uh, we can at least support organizations outside of Europe there as well.
1: Great. Pretty Hubert mentioned something about um, finding other ways of, of funding, essentially, um, mm-hmm. and this is also something that I, I think you you are quite, quite a specialist in as well. Because um, when funding is being cut, obviously, organizations have to adapt and they have to be more clever about how they use their money, right? So what, what would be your, your recommendations to any type of you know, NGO or charity or organization looking to use their decreased funds in a, in a smarter way to still try and have uh, a good impact?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a tough time, right? Um, organizations are definitely having to adapt. I think everybody has said, you know, this is about survival. Um many are operating in a completely different way. They're providing new services, um, eating into cash reserves, uh, you know, not knowing. I think part of the issue is we don't know how long this is going to carry on for. So and know we were talking about this um just before we started. It's it, it's very, it's all very short-term thinking. Um, but really, we, you know, as an orga- as organizations, this is all about planning for the long term. Um, are you gonna be able to survive this? I was reading somewhere that in the UK, there's been a 41% increase in direct debit cancellations um, for like charity donations. Um, I think 31% of international NGOs get their money from individual donations. People aren't donating, you know, the first thing that's going, and I think Jürgen made a good point, players are people, but also people are people. And everyone's looking at their finances and going, "What can I cut? Oh, that football for good charity, especially when it's a club, everyone thinks clubs have money, right? Oh, you know what? My local club doesn't need the money. I need the money. So really, you know, our sources of income when you think about where money's coming from, it's coming from fundraising activities. We're not doing fundraising activities. We're not running marathons. you know, all of that. all of that is um is income being cut. So I think it's about diversifying. Like I think, As organizations, there is money out there, but you have to think about how you're going to access it. And I think Jürgen mentioned it earlier. Talk to your partners or, you know, what Jake is doing with with his brands and his partners. This is a conversation. Everybody wants to be impactful. Everybody needs to survive this. Uh, The one thing that COVID has done, I mean, it is the great equalizer. It has affected everybody. And therefore, we're all in this together. And I think from a funding perspective, it's about having really making some tough decisions and having honest conversations. How much do we have to survive? Where else can we find this money from? Um, It's about looking at new sources of income, but it's also just about having honest conversations with your partners and funders. How do we get through this? Um, How do we get through this in a way that you know, makes the most sense for all of us. I think from a from a football or a sport for good um perspective, some of our organizations are quite traditional. We look to football funders for money. Actually, if anything, this has proved that we do more than football. So, you know, look at, and there are pots of money out there, look at education, look at health, look at crime. You know, there are other areas that you can access funding, especially short-term from. Um, because as we know, everybody, you know, we only have X number of football funders um, and they're already doing what they can. So, you know, I, I think it is really trying to understand um, what your short-term picture is, but also what your long-term picture is. Um, and it's about co-creating with your partners a clear plan, timelines, goals, deliverables. You know, you measure, you manage this together. That's the only way to, to survive it, really. Yeah.
1: And Juergen, you mentioned a bit before that um, obviously, the situation is completely different from one continent to the other, and, and street football world as such, um, you know, you have member organizations across all of the continents. I think what is it? At least 140 uh, NGOs. What's um what's, what has the crisis meant for for them, or like what kind of like lessons can you can you share in terms of your conversations with your members in Asia versus Latin versus Africa?
0: Yeah, maybe for uh, in, in order to not make this too long, but maybe there's two things I I, I would want to say. One is um, a response to your question, and the other one I just invent myself. Um, um, I think it's it's slightly unrelated to your question. It's, it's rather like interacting with what um, Pretty Jake and and Hubert have said before. Um, in terms of us as Non-governmental um, organizations. It's really tough because Priti just said um, that clubs might be able to eat into their reserves, or or companies might. We're not allowed to have reserves by law, so we're registered in Germany and we cannot have reserves. So we we cannot eat into our reserves right now. So it's 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 and and even the the subvention or the the the, the support schemes of, of a government. Um, they apply to everyone, but only in a reduced way to the non-governmental organizations, which is, which is really ridiculous. Um, so the, the situation is really tough for, for, for non-governmental not-for-profit organizations, at least in, in a country like Germany, although like the response is very efficient and very good for many, um, especially the social entrepreneurs, um, are, are sort of not, not recognized by that. And this is, this applies to everyone, like, um, like pretty said, um like the, the first thing you 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 discontinue, the first thing um you, you stop doing the first thing you you're not thinking anymore about is the one that is a nice to have typically in the CSR realm. Um if it's not part of who you are, you you don't need to do it, so to say. So and and that's that's obviously what we are suffering. And this is what our response fund is trying to act against um in terms of really like helping to, 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 yeah, to bridge the gap um, that is, that is in many cases now, now being created by the situation. The other thing I I just wanted to quickly reflect on is the situation of the football industry. I think the football industry has been very, very lucky over the last 20 years or so, um, having such a loyal, customer like um like a fan um who follows the product like independently on how it performs actually at the end of the day um it's just such a loyal customer if you want client however you want to call it technology has played a, a huge role in the development of football without football actually doing anything for it but just leveraging it like for for their own purpose and globalized globalization in in general i think has has been very much that like taken into the model of, of the industry. I, th- I think now what, what, what the crisis tells us or shows us is that it's a very fragile system. It's, it, it, there's no real resilience to, to anything that would be different to the normal, like um, TV rights, like we need to play, we need to have people coming to a stadium, like all these kind of things you need to have and if you don't have it, your business model doesn't work anymore, like at all. And 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 if you um, Jake at the beginning talked about like the, the the generations that 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 are quite demanding, like if you if you build only on football as an entertainment product, people will just choose another entertainment. Like um, we actually have learned over the past two months that we can live without football. Actually, like there is a life without football, and 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 and. And the generations we are looking at now, they are not as loyal anymore as previous generations to an entertainment product. So, if you don't really connect to people, if you're not relevant for people, like in their life, and if, if you're not like contributing and living in harmony with the planet, which is an expectation of our kids that we don't fuck up the planet. So, this is what you need to be as football, too. And I think this is a huge opportunity to not aspire to go back to business as usual, but actually to aspire to become sustainable as an industry, as a football industry. And you have such a like an as, a, as as football, you have such a a brilliant base. You have half of the world's population in love with you. So why wouldn't you leverage that for the good of the people and planet? So I think that's that would be my hope. Um, once we get to the other end of this, um, that football is humbler, less arrogant, and understands actually what it takes to stay relevant for people in the long run, and not just walk towards the next crisis. Definitely. And I
1: see we're already past, uh, past the hour, so um, this is a perfect uh, to to my last question, which is the same for everyone. Um, just in a minute or two, maybe, uh, per, per answer, uh, maybe starting with Jake. And and the question is all of your organizations are essentially advocates of, of mainstreaming CSR, right? Of making sure that everyone in football has CSR in their DNA to some capacity. And then think about, you know, the, the bigger picture and the the sustainable factor and, and doing football for good. Um, what are your plans to turn this into the reality? And do you think this, this this crisis that we're living through right now can actually
3: accelerate it okay what um, Jürgen, I, I think, actually gave a really good platform for, for that answer. And I think the, the way to answer it is about what could be and also about like what we'd hope for. And I think the kind of reality, the kind of demands that Jürgen has just laid out, that should be the framework for how we answer this question of how we can create a new football um, after this on the other side. And I think with team members like the people in the organisations that are, that are on this panel now in this webinar, um, I think you can piece together kind of coalitions that that actually become the model for the kinds of actors that we want to have the game populated by later. Um, and And I think we need other organizations and individuals to join. Um, and it needs to be from people, stakeholders, both inside and outside the sport. Um, and I think the idea of community uh, engagement, corporate social responsibility is not devalued in that. It just becomes, Rather than be uh, a kind of thing that's bolted on the side, it's the absolute minimum standard for participation in the game. And just to kind of wrap up, I just encourage people to our founder, Tom Vernon. He recently posed a set of questions kind of a little bit related to some of these things on his on his uh, LinkedIn page. And these questions are about the types of organisations and institutions and agreements, collective agreements we should have in place. To make our game fit for purpose for the kinds of demanding audiences, conscientious organ- audiences that want political stances um, and, and these are on things like the role of agents, it's on the the transfer system that probably many people and you know we, we would probably all agree is kind of wildly out of touch, the fairness of the World Cup and I think this conversation needs to take place and, and we we need to follow the example that Jürgen sets, where Jürgen is is very brave in the questions that he asks, both the, the actors in the football industry, but also about where he asks them, you know, for example, asking them at the World Economic Forum in Davos. And that's the kind of stakeholder engagement, I think, um we need to do and maybe the reason why historically the football industry has been a little bit scared of of doing that is because we were worried a little bit about perceived controversy you know um and we were worried a tiny bit about um uh uh, partners and and fans and just people kind of like being wow what's this this is this is maybe a little bit too political for us but i think that that what we're seeing from the research is that time has passed and and the opportunity that this crisis affords is that it actually forces a potential change upon us. So, so we might as well try something and get that conversation going now with the right people. Absolutely. Thanks.
1: Hubert, what, what would you add? What are your uh, plans or, or predictions?
2: Yeah, I, I completely have to add to what Jürgen and, and what Jacob said. Um, this is a time where football realizes that, then, um, that there is a world outside of football. Uh, and that they need to find a way to get to the new normal um and um with the people in this panel and organizations outside i think it's a it's a good time to to um to be involved in that redevelopment of the football sector uh, where um the organisations look be look further than their own entity um, and and really yeah, use this as um um this, this global crisis as a uh for the sector it could be uh something uh, yeah it can, can get something positive out of it as well so what we what we do um uh launch is our modern football initiative where we try to combine uh, clubs, leagues, and FAs who usually don't work always together um, to 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 unite them or at least share best practices between them and see how they can develop for the future. Um, um, again, looking behind further than their own entity, looking further than their own personal aims and business uh, targets. Um, and yeah, my hopes and, and what we would uh, support is. is developing the sector to to that new normal where csr and sustainability has a much more um, broader meaning and much more important in the day to day activities of of all the organizations in the sector okay thank you
0: hubert pretty
4: uh yeah massively echo um what what all three guys have said i, I, I don't think this is around You know, and it's a term that's obviously, you know, we still use, but it's not it's not about responsibility anymore. It's about social purpose. Um, I really think, you know, like jurgen said, we there are our audiences, our generation, the generations that are that are coming after us. They are demanding more from their businesses, from their brands. Um, You know, I I think we as football need to understand what our purpose is, our reason for being. um, And it is more than entertainment. And if we expect that loyalty. from our audiences, then we need to give it back to them. I think we have shown during this time that we are doing, we can do that. The real question is, can we sustain it? Um, when this is over, are we gonna go back to trying to make the most money, trying to be the best, trying to have the biggest, you know, the most seats, the biggest sponsors, or are we going to all be joined up in trying to provide the most value um, to our stakeholders, you know, to our audiences? So. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this is you know this is about changing the way we think and coming together as football for a much bigger purpose. But to echo something that, that Jake said right at the start, I think the you know from a social impact perspective, the key word is authentic. Um, I think people are seeing past all this, you know, yeah, we're doing good and good for good sake in the business case. We know all these things. This is not new anymore. Um, I think the more authentic we can be, um, the more you know, people are, are gonna want to support um, football and football for good, and and we're actually you know actually gonna start seeing some impact. So yeah, massively echo what um, what everybody has said, and it really is the only way to embed is for us to honestly want to do it um, and and not do it because we want to win in some way.
0: Great, Jurgen, any final remarks from your side? I guess for the sake of time, I, I pass and I think everything is said and um, just the invitation to to really play as a team, understand or recreate the understanding of success, understanding contribution as a currency, as something um, that's not just the right thing to do, but it has value. It will be expected and, and therefore it, it, it translates into, into, into value and um, just as we, as we expect from all of our governments um, that are democratically um, installed, that they serve their people, to have football actually also serve the people um, and not serve the system or not serve the businesses or not serve the TV rights holders, but actually serve the people. And through that, you will serve the TV rights holders and you will serve the businesses and you will serve everybody else and you will be successful but it's not the other way around. So once you, re, you, you reset that chip, um, and this is now the opportunity to do it, because if we just had, as a football industry, um, again, grew another 10, 12% this, this year, there would have been no reason to change. Now, I think um, people are more willing um, to, to look at it in a, in a different way.
1: Thank you, Yuri. And with that, it's time to wrap up episode six of our webinar series, CSR in in the age of COVID-19 and beyond. Uh, thank you to our entire panel, Jacob Nash from FC Nordschland, Priti Shetty from the Football Foundation, Hubert Rovers from the European Football for Development Network, and Jurgen Griesbeck from Common Goal slash Street Football World. Thank you everyone as well for tuning in. In the meantime, wishing you everybody a nice evening and uh, stay safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and make sure to follow FBA on our social media channels to not miss out on the next episodes coming
4: soon. See you next time.